Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Herbert Ray. Dr. Ray is an assistant professor in the School of Dental Medicine at the University of Pittsburgh, and he's also responsible for the graduate endodontics residency program in the dental school. Dr. Ray, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you, John. So, I know you have a multitude of responsibilities, both in terms of teaching and clinical training, as well as some research. Perhaps in the course of this discussion, we can touch briefly on those various aspects. But let's begin with the research program and give us a brief overview of your interest in the direction of your program. My primary interest is in regeneration of the dental pulp. Historically, root canal therapy has changed very little in the past 100 years. And with advances in stem cell therapy and new materials that we're beginning to look at to enhance regenerative procedures, that's become the primary focus to ultimately lead to a root canal that rather than being filled with an inert material, we can regenerate a vital living tissue back into that space and continue to provide that tooth with its normal pulp function. So perhaps for someone that's not a specialist in dental medicine, why is that important? Well, the importance of it is the dental pulp provides the immunological response to dental caries or bacteria from the mouth. So conventional root canal therapy, we would remove that pulp tissue, clean that space, and then essentially seal it with an inert material. Got a percha historically has been that material, but it provides no immunological response to secondary dental caries or the egress of bacteria from the oral cavity. So I see from some of the work that you've done, you have interest in extracellular matrix, which has been the subject of many other researchers who have joined us on this podcast, as well as enzymes. Where's the focus, or is it a multidisciplinary approach? No, it really is a multidisciplinary approach. We work with the researchers at both uh, McGowan and in our Center for Cranial Facial Regeneration, And we're coming at it from several points of attack. Novel materials that we can introduce into the space to possibly stimulate the ingrowth of vascularized tissues. We're beginning to consider the use of various scaffold materials. Is this a a multidisciplinary approach that you're considering? Yes, this is a multidisciplinary approach. My background is as a clinician. And I really serve as that transition from the laboratory really to the clinic. And we work and collaborate quite closely with researchers at both the McCowan Institute as well as our own Center for Cranial Facial Regeneration. We're looking specifically at novel materials that we can introduce into the root canal space that will elicit a vascular response, a vascular ingrowth with the potential for regeneration of pulp-like tissues. We're looking at various materials that can be utilized as scaffolds and really harness the potential of stem cells that exist in the dental pulp 
and in the periapical tissues. So typically, why does dental pulp fail? Is it infection or is it some other type of problem? Typically, it's infection. Dental caries is really one of the number one causes of disease. And as caries progress closer to the dental pulp, the pulp becomes infected. Once this occurs, ultimately it will lead to disease in the periapex or the bone at the end of the root of the tooth. So you've talked about some of these techniques you're considering. As I mentioned before, we've had other scientists on the podcast who have, for example, used extracellular matrix for what I'll call two-dimensional wound healing. And there's been some reasonable amount of success with that. But it seems to me that with a root of a tooth, it's a rather narrow, a rather long, the aspect ratio is very high. And so how does one, for example, use extracellular matrix and get it to where it needs to do its job? Well, that becomes the technical side, and that's actually probably where my area of expertise comes in, having been the clinician. Yes, the root canal space is a unique system. It presents challenges just because we're working in such a confined space. We mechanically enlarge this space. We use surgical operating microscopes when we work on our patients, when we do these procedures. But the challenge is delivering these materials throughout the root canal space. For that reason, it takes quite a bit of manipulation with material coming up with either a gel form or a powder form of materials to introduce. We have taken materials and introduced them into the natural blood clot that forms into the root canal space following treatment. At this point, it's very, very early in the development of these technologies. I just so happen to be at the right place at the right time, at a very exciting time in my specialty. The tooth itself is very unique in that it is a closed system. There are a lot of exciting possibilities for the dental pulp, not only for my own purposes of regenerating the dental pulp, I've been told that it's a very nice environment for other aspects of pulp stem cell therapy and study because it is a closed system. What we are doing may ultimately spill over into other aspects of medicine. Some of the work that we're doing in the dental pulp space will probably have implication beyond dentistry and reaching further into medicine. I think we see that on an increasingly frequent basis where advances in area X lead to benefits in area Y or Z. I would certainly agree with that premise. Going back again for a moment to your strategies, is the attempt to repair diseased dental pulp or is it to replace it? Actually, we're working on both fronts. The dental pulp is a very resilient tissue. It's a highly vascularized tissue. And for that reason, it's extremely resistant to disease process. So part of our approach is maintaining, if not all, but a portion of the dental pulp. And again, utilizing dental materials to permit part of the pulp to remain and part of that pulp to heal. So that's one aspect of the direction that we're going. When we ultimately are faced with the point where the pulp has died and there is no longer any vital tissue remaining in the system, our objective is to regenerate a pulp-like tissue 
into the root canal space. The ultimate goal would be to have a process where we can predictably regenerate a vascularized structure that is capable of producing mineralized tissue so that at some point we may ultimately be able to start replacing missing tooth structure itself. Well, I know some of your colleagues have done some very novel and pioneering work in bone tissue engineering, and I assume that's a part of this multidisciplinary approach that you're pursuing. That's exactly right. We're taking what they've learned in the world of bone science, and we're really bringing that into the tooth to see if we can't take advantage of those points and hopefully produce new mineralized tissues within the root canal system or the tooth proper itself. So going back to the repair or replacement of dental pulp, I assume the strategy to access the root canal system is still the same as the old-fashioned way. you got to drill in the top of the tooth. That part hasn't changed a whole lot. The mechanical part of opening into the space has changed very little. And most of the advancements in the specialty that have at least reached the clinical phase of treatment have revolved around advancements in the mechanical cleaning of the root canal space itself, but we end up going right back to the old standby of sealing the space with gutta percha. The current trends in taking advantage of the wealth of stem cells that are present both within the dental pulp, in the periapex, and in the surrounding periodontal ligament and bone tissues really provides us with a very rich cell source localized right at the site that we're working. And our hope is to be able to capture those cells, attract those cells, and then take advantage of conditioning the dentin and creating the right scaffold or matrix to have the autologous cells migrate into the site and essentially pick up where the previous pulp tissue left off. So you mentioned early on in this discussion that some of these studies were just beginning. I think many of our listeners have come to learn that these types of advancements don't occur overnight. If we were to be having this discussion in three to five years, what's your crystal ball say might be the advances in the state of the art at that time? I think within three to five years it's going to be very, very realistic therapy that we can predictably regenerate a form of vascularized tissue within the root canal space. Whether we end up with what is characteristically thought of as pulp proper, time will tell. But the advancements, the science at this point is very exciting, it's very focused. It's caught the attention of my specialty of endodontics. I think within the next three to five years, we should begin to see some of these therapies making their way into clinical practice. That's very exciting. So Dr. Ray, as we mentioned a moment ago, some of these techniques that you're investigating are in the future, but perhaps you could just give us an indication of what is clinically available in terms of these areas at the moment. Currently, we're probably at the most basic level of regeneration or regenerative medicine that we're doing right now in dentistry is a revascularization procedure in children. And these are cases of permanent teeth in young children, typically trauma, that has caused the pulp to die. Generally, these kids present with infection, 
and a partially developed tooth. And historically, our options for treatment really were to either just monitor these kids and ultimately end up removing the tooth, or depending on the severity of the infection, removal of the tooth at such an early age. What we've done is recognize that the bottom end of the tooth has not developed yet and is essentially wide open. What we can do is clean the root canal space. We open into the root canal space to simply debride the area with irrigants. We wash the canal system quite thoroughly. We don't do any instrumentation like we do in an adult tooth. And then we place either an antibiotic paste or a dressing of calcium hydroxide into this area in order to render the space as clean and bacteria-free as we can. After a period of time, we'll have the child back and we'll wash out these materials. And then at this point, this is where we're taking advantage of these dental pulp stem cells that are present in the apical papilla, in the bone, and even some studies that have found that the dental stem cells are able to survive even in the face of necrosis of the pulp tissue itself. So we will prepare the inside of the canal. We will etch the dentin in order to release some of the natural dentin proteins and then create a blood clot up into the space itself. The success for this procedure has been overwhelming. The success really has been to the point where we have very little histological evaluation of samples because of the success rate. One of the particular areas of interest that I've had in my program is the use of platelet concentrates when we do these procedures. So one of the problems that we have is this targeted age group typically are very young children. In stimulating and trying to promote the ingrowth of cells, it's always nice to have some sort of a growth factor. But the use of most materials are contraindicated in such a young population. So by being able to use the patient's own platelet concentrates, we can introduce those into the space, have a scaffold in place that we can use to hopefully regenerate this pulp-like tissue, as well as a slow release of autologous growth factors. So to synopsize in short terms, what you just told us is that for a child that has an underdeveloped tooth, not likely to resume growth, this procedure you just described can essentially revitalize or reinvigorate the growth of the tooth. That's correct. And we'll see continued root development on a large number of these teeth. There are a significant number of the teeth that we can depending on the level of how far we had to place some of the materials, we can go back and pulp vitality test and actually elicit a sensibility test from the tooth following the procedure itself. Fascinating. So out of curiosity, do you have to put a crown on the tooth after you do these procedures? At some point down the road, some of these kids may end up with a crown. But again, most of these are just very young children. So at best, we're holding the space, allowing for development of the orofacial structures in the bone, that should they lose this tooth at a later age, we have them closer to the point where they can receive more permanent treatment 
possibly dental implants or things of that nature. But typically on these youngsters, it's just a very conservative restoration following treatment. Very interesting. Dr. Ray, as you mentioned earlier, you are responsible for the clinical residency program in endodontics. I also hear you uh, talking about the collaboration you do with scientists. I think you know there's been a significant effort to move things expeditiously from the, the bench to the bedside, so to speak, or from the lab to the clinical use. Sounds like you have this uh, well captured in your program. That's right, John. I've been very, very fortunate at the University of Pittsburgh to have the relationship that I have with the basic sciences. And at this point, particularly in dentistry, we're at a crossroads in the profession itself where things are becoming very technical and very mechanical. And to be able to get back to the basics of science and integrate science back into the clinical aspects of treatment I think is not only exciting for advancing the techniques that we have clinically to use, but really also for protecting the foundation of the practice of dentistry. At the school, the residents all work closely with various team members, in my case, in the Center for Craniofacial Regeneration. So my residents are part of the research teams that are looking at these various aspects of either mineralized tissue formation, whether we're then bringing it back to look at repair of carious defects with mineralized dentin, or whether we're looking at specific stem cell therapies going down the direction of regenerating the dental pulp itself. But the integration of the two, I think, has really been beneficial for both. It gives my residents who are going to leave and become clinicians an incredible respect for what it is that they're reading in the journals every month, what's involved in the amount of labor and work that it takes to produce a paper and a study. And I think it's been a very beneficial relationship for our postdoc students, for our PhD and master's candidate students to really see how the work they're doing is hopefully going to translate over into the clinical practice. So it's been a very exciting relationship, a very exciting time for me. In the short period of time that I've been there and carrying out this type of work, I think we've made quite remarkable advances already. Well, it's clear that you've fully endorsed and are making use of the multidisciplinary approach both in terms of cross-disciplines as well as is across the spectrum from basic research through clinical implementation. So I congratulate you and for your leadership and to your colleagues for doing a very impressive job in this regard. So Dr. Ray, I'd like to thank you for joining us today, for sharing your pioneering work, both in the clinical training of new clinicians as well as in the application of research to these important problems. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to remind our listeners we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. Thank you for listening, and we'll meet again soon.